Welcome to the Growing With Purpose podcast. I'm Paul Spiegelman, and we're going behind the scenes with very special leaders, learning about what shaped them into who they are in business and in life. episode of the Growing With Purpose podcast is brought to you by Big Path Capital. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that purpose-driven leaders do business differently. So when it comes to raising capital, leaders like you aren't going to trust their business and its mission to just any investor. Big Path Capital helps mission-driven founders find mission-aligned investors to raise new capital or sell majority or minority parts of their company. Learn more about Big Path Capital and their network of mission-aligned investors at BigPathCapital.com. My guest today is Camille Nasida, President and CEO of Gongus. Camille began, began her career with Gongus in 1991, and then at the age of 43, she had to reimagine her entire orientation to the business by shifting from operating as an executive to operating as an owner, literally overnight. She now operates the company under the belief that people realize their full potential when put in the right seats. Welcome, Camille. Oh, thanks, Paul. What a great intro, and uh, I am so excited to be here. Oh, I'm so excited to talk to you. Just to set context for those that are listening, talk a little bit about Gongus, what the company does, size, scope, that type of thing. Sure thing. So Gongus is a decision intelligence company. And basically what that means is uh, we are working with mostly Fortune 500 companies and industry leaders to help them really listen to their customers and act on their customer needs. Um, we call it sort of operationalizing the idea of customer centricity. And for us, that means not just listening and understanding, but actually also building customer needs into your strategy so that you're truly a customer-centric business, um, all the way from you know your vision as a company down to the frontline employees who are delivering on your brand promise every day. So from a really practical standpoint, how do you deliver the voice of the customer to your clients? Uh, we go about that in a lot of different ways. Um, one of the primary ways we do that is through talking to our clients' customers, either through you know surveys or online boards and communities, um, really trying to get as close to their customers as possible, going um, on shopping journeys with our clients' customers or immersing with them in their homes. So really trying to bring the true human to our clients because, as you can imagine, when you're day in and day out uh, – working on the strategy of a product or a service, you can you can get lost from what your true customer needs are and also start to think of them as only a customer, when in reality, those people are only thinking about your product and service for a small fraction of, of their day, if at all, right? And so they're a human before they're a customer. So that's what we really try to get our clients focused on. And there's a variety of ways that we get them focused on that human. Um, like I said, anything from going in home and showing them, uh, shopping along with them, immersing our clients in that customer environment is key. And are your clients business to consumer, business to business, or both? Uh, both. Okay. Yeah, they are both. So we are working in um, all capacities. Some of the more interesting ones, honestly, are where we get to see the full scale from uh, you know business to business to consumer. 
Yeah. I understand you went through this major transition, obviously, in your career. Something unexpected happened with the original owner of the company, and uh, you went this uh, through this period. Take us back then to w- when that happened, what actually happened, and how you were involved. Okay. Well, um, gosh, what a journey it's been. So around eight years ago, actually, at this point, um, our founder, John Gongas, which is where the name originates from, um, he was diagnosed with uh, metastatic melanoma. And literally between diagnosis and death uh, were about 10 days. Mm. He'd been having, you know, some health issues, but there was not a formal diagnosis. And when he was diagnosed, they thought he had a lot more time than that, you know, months um, up to a couple of years. And then to find out, um, you know, from his family within a few days that that was not the case, it was pretty traumatic. At that point in time, we were a company of about 100 employees. And um, imagine, you know, having to come back and stand in front of a group of 100 people. And John was not a person that was a standoffish leader. He was very much immersed in the business, um, very much a people person, a, a very revered leader. So um, we had just delivered the information to the organization that he was sick. And a few days later, had to let them know that he had passed away. So pretty traumatic experience for um, for our organization, for sure. And at that point in time, I was our chief operating officer of, um, of Gongas and also a minority shareholder in the business. And you had been there for how long at that point? So I had been here since we opened our doors. Um, I actually started my career at Gongas um, as an intern, uh, was hired on when we opened our doors. Actually, my story starts with John at another company. And when he decided to start Gongas, um, I was one of the few people that he brought along with him to open the doors here. So I've been here for 28 years, my entire career. Wow. So... How did you navigate that? And uh, of course, I'm sure you made it up as you went along, not expecting that that was going to happen the way it did. Yeah, no, I mean, it was, um, it's even hard to like look back and think about the steps that we're taking, even though I I know there was a sort of a a disciplined approach to it. But I think very first step was um, having an all company meeting, right? Letting people know what happened, but also staying super true to making sure that our people were okay. Um, and really helping our people get through that crisis. Um, you know, everything from, you know, we hired counselors to come on site and talk with people. Um, we have some, there were a lot of different approaches we took to making sure our people were okay. Everything from just giving them their own time to heal, to, um, being there for them and, and just really listening to them, um, on a parallel path, we made sure that our clients um, understood what had happened. And I actually, our clients are located all over the country. And I took time over probably a two to three month period to go out and visit all of our clients and assure them that, um, you know, our business is, was still solid and strong and they could um, continue to expect the level of service and intelligence and, um, you know, the brand promise that they had come to expect with Gongas would still be there, even though Gongas had you know, John Gangas was no longer with us. And, and that's one of the beautiful things that John did is he set this company up to go on without him. 
know, he did such a good job of laying the foundation for a really strong, healthy, sustainable organization. So I think some of the basics that you might have to worry about were covered in some respects. You know, we had this solid foundation. Our people had always been important to us. Um, I grew up under John as a mentor. So my style of leading the business felt very similar to his. So people, it wasn't if people were like, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? I think that John had set things up so that people would naturally look to me, who was his right hand for the, you know, the, the last few years that he was here, would look to me naturally as a leader. And then I took the steps of also assembling sort of my version of a leadership team around me. You know, you're only as good as the people you surround yourself with. And uh, we had a strong leadership team in place, but we added a few more folks to that and um, and and really kept evolving the business forward. Well, I can personally relate to uh, a a bit about what you went through because I went through something similar. I I originally had um, two partners in my business who were my brothers and I was the middle brother and uh, our younger brother was diagnosed with a brain tumor a year after we started our business. So this is 1986 and luckily lived another 19 full years, but he passed away in 2005 at the age of 43. And we were prepared for that. It wasn't something as sudden as it was with John, but uh, you made me think of my COO at the time, Lance, who I had hired, I think only six months before uh, Barry passed away. And, uh, and it was that same thing, just someone that was absolutely there. So for the time that I needed to take off to uh, deal with the family and all of those things, he was always there for me and uh, helped us through this you know, incredibly difficult time. So I know what it's like to go through having to communicate this kind of news to a company. And I got to believe, too, that there were times when you felt unsure of what to do next or even vulnerable as much as it seems like John had prepared the company to survive without him. Can you think of a, of, a, of a moment where you kind of questioned yourself about how you were prepared to handle all of this? Oh, gosh, so many times. <laughs> and, and um, you know, I don't think that ever in my life probably did I actually ever um, think of myself as the CEO of a business or a business owner, right? So um, the fact that that's what I am today and have been for the past eight years is even, it's something that I look at and shake my head at often because it's not as if that was ever in like this list of, or goal of something that I aspired to achieve. Um, so you can imagine, right. Something like that happen happening overnight, you know, you're the person. Um, and it's not as if we didn't have succession planning conversations. Um, there was another gentleman in our business. Um, his name was Bill Thomas, who was another minority shareholder who happened to have, um, a stroke several years prior to John passing away and something that incapacitated him. He was never able to come back to work, but that sort of was a turning point. I think in John's mind, um, where we all saw, you know, this guy who was young and vibrant and overnight, he was no longer with us. And I think that that was sort of a, a, um, triggering event for John to think about succession planning. And that's where he started to prepare me for, sort of taking over this role just in case something happened to him. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, 
but I think that, you know, there were so many moments of, can I do this? What am I doing? Do we just continue forward um, and assume that the future is just going to be a linear progression of the past? Or do we, you know, take um, time and really think about this is a turning point for the business and um, prepare ourselves more fully for the future, right? And and not doing that, you know, on the heels of, of John's death, but really thinking about what do we want this company to be going forward? How do we make sure that this is a healthy, sustainable organization once people have healed and come to terms with the fact that John's no longer with us? Yeah. So how did you go through that part of it? I'm sure, you know, after a period of months or even years, you probably started to think about uh, how are we really going to take this business forward? I've got new people on the leadership team. Um, did you feel pressure to continue, like you said, in a linear way, some of what John had created? Or or did you then really revision what the company was about? Yeah, I think that um, I would say it was a combination of both. So um, I mentioned earlier about having a really solid foundation. So I think about um, our company's purpose or mission, right? Our core values, our brand promise, um, what some of our core competencies are and had always been. I, I know that we um, we were purposeful and intentional about keeping those things intact, but then also really looking to um, the market and trends and what was happening with our clients and listening to our clients and using that all as input to determine what our future might look like. Um, and, you know, in concert with, um, all of this happening, there were a lot of big things happening in our industry. Um, so, our business had been based on um, what we call primary research. So, you know, um, directly getting interaction with our clients' customers. So through surveys or focus groups, that type of thing, and giving that information back to our clients, right? That was the basis of our business for the first 20 plus years. Well, you've heard of big data, right? Um, mm -hmm. Our clients now had access to all kinds of information beyond primary research that we could collect for them. So outside influences, market forces were also saying like, you might need to do something different with your business, you know, leverage your core competencies, leverage your foundation, but you might have to transform the business to be something different than what it is today to continue serving your clients needs, um, to continue helping them to be customer centric. So keeping the foundation the same, right? Same mm -hmm. core values, same mission, same principles leading the business so that people had that to latch onto and feel secure about, but also getting people to buy into the idea that we were going to need to transform ourselves into something a little bit different to maintain a relevancy in the market, a relevancy with our clients so that we could be a healthy, sustainable organization into the future. I got to believe that there were some folks that resisted that, that might've been around for a long time and felt like they liked the way things were. And here you come, you know, even in these tough circumstances, uh, did you sense some of that along the way? And what did you do to, to try to get folks to buy into, uh, this newer vision? 
Yeah, no, great question. And of course, right. Um, people, one of the hardest things for people is change no matter what. And we really, as an organization, try to leverage, um, core principles of getting, making sure that our employees felt heard and, um, were able to give input to our future strategy. I mean, let's face it, we could have moved the company forward in a much more, I think, what's the right word, assertive or fast paced way. And we didn't, we really took the time to listen to our clients and make sure everything we were doing was based on market or client needs. The same advice we would give to our clients as we're counseling them, right? Um, But on top of that, and probably even more important, listen to our employees and help them along this journey, really meeting different individuals where they were in the change management process, listening to people, understanding their feelings, making sure they felt comfortable and secure that our foundation was remaining the same, right? You're still showing up at the, a place called Ganges. Our core values, the day we opened our doors, same thing, same types of people, same types of things are important. But we're changing our value proposition a little bit to uh, be more in line with what our clients and their customers needed from us. And if you truly believe in this organization and want to see it be relevant into the future, you know, follow along this path. And not everybody did. And we had to be secure with the fact that um, some people were going to really believe in this and hunker down and, you know, manage through this transformation with us. And other people wouldn't. And there were people that we were for sure sad to see them go, but at the same time, probably best for them in their career journeys and what they wanted out of their careers and probably best for us. Because if you're going to be going through transformative efforts, you got to have people that are willing to trust and see the future and dream a little bit with you and and go along for that ride. Because it's not an easy ride. You know, there are a lot of bumps along that road that people need to um, bond together and and unite and and fight for to get to that new vision. You know, as you talk about that, I think about when I um, sold my primary company and everything was great. Nothing really changed for the employees, et cetera. But some people emotionally handle things differently or might have just checked out because of that change. And uh, so the reality is not everybody simply goes along for the ride and you do your best to, uh, like you said, make them feel secure and uh, hopeful and excited about what's to come. But people do have to make their own choices ultimately. Uh, I want to take you back, Camille, for a bit into earlier in your life, before you even got involved with John and got involved in the company, uh, you were in, in Gongas before John passed away. You were already the COO, so you had built up uh, your career to become a senior leader in this organization. Uh, so where did this all come from? Uh, how did you originally get these leadership capabilities? Uh, tell me a little bit about your childhood, influences from your folks or early jobs, things like that. Yeah. So I think that, um, one of the most instrumental sort of figures in my life, um, in terms of leadership qualities was 
my dad. My dad was a child of uh, Italian immigrant parents, um, grew up dirt poor, and was able to create a pretty amazing career for himself as a, an attorney and then eventually an elected official as a judge. Um, but the really cool thing about my dad is that even though he's sort of a rags to riches story, um, he's one of those people that put the, you know, the cliche of no matter how successful you get, never forget where you came from. Um, he was a personification of that. And I think I, I didn't know it as I was growing up watching it, but the role model that he set for me as being, um, a servant leader, you know, really just treating everyone with respect, no matter where they came from or what they were doing. Um, just treating everyone, um, with respect and with a sense of dignity and listening to them and really being there to serve them, help improve their lives. It was never, what can you do for me, but what can I do for you? That's just how, like, I grew up watching this person. And, and again, I don't think that I was consciously aware of that until I got into um, a business environment and was asked to start managing people at a fairly young age. And that was just my normal, like my natural go-to style was to um, not create a hierarchical situation, but to treat people as peers and as a guide and as like, what can I do for you as a coworker, as a, you know, as a mentor, not necessarily as your leader or as your authority figure. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, and just, again, I have a dad that uh, was like my dad, who was also a lawyer, not a judge. Uh, but taught me those really simple life lessons about hard work. And, um, he just said, always be nice, never burn a bridge. And, uh, and, uh, that, that, uh, stayed with me. And, and it's, it's like you said, until not until you get out in the real world and maybe see that not everybody is like that. Do you appreciate those kind of lessons? So, so true. Yeah. What, what about early jobs? Uh, anything there that, uh, was important in the formulation of your leadership roles? You know, the, the one thing that I can draw upon there, um, when I was in high school, I worked for, um, for a law firm that was not my dad's law firm, something different. By that point in time, my dad was a judge and no longer a lawyer, but I worked as a receptionist at a law firm. And, you know, this was back in the day where you actually had the switchboard and, Mm -hmm. The voicemail did not exist, right? You uh, took notes on a little pink sheet and handed that to people as they walked in. And I just remember, um, you know, the first few days after being on the job there, realizing the importance of that seemingly administrative position, um, knowing that I was the first the face of, or sort of the first touch point for people coming into the doors of that organization or calling that organization, you know, trying to connect with whoever their lawyer was. Um, and just feeling the importance of sort of that, I don't know, great customer or client experience. Um, and, and, and also the, um, sort of the, the stress of that, you know, the phone, three, four different lines ringing at the same time, people walking through the door and keeping your cool, keeping your composure and making every single person feel like you were only focused on them. 
and being able to sort of transcend that feeling into the front line of our organization or our clients' organizations and remembering what that feels like to be the front line and not only how important it is, but the stress that those people feel. It's not an easy job to be in the field and be sort of that first touch point with a customer or a client. Yeah, I gave you a great appreciation for in your company today. I'm sure what that front line is doing. And uh, like I used to say that they're the ones doing all the hard work at the heavy lifting. And, uh, and we're here to listen to them to make their lives better, uh, to help them achieve their goals. And so that's a great early, early lesson um, that you learned. Uh, can you think of maybe a, an unexpected learning from an unexpected source somewhere along the way? Um, gosh, another great question. So when I was in high school, I was, um, involved with, and people always laugh when I do this, I was a cheerleader and I'm using air quotes right now <laughs> and because of the sort of perception that people have that. But our cheerleading team was literally like a sports team. I mean, we competed. Um, it was sort of a combination of cheerleading and gymnastics. Um, so it was, it was a, a very competitive environment. And when you have um, people throwing other people up in the air and counting on them to catch them, I was a flyer. So I would do flips in the air and you know all kinds of things. And you had to count on other people to be there and to have your back literally to, to catch you, to support you in that environment. And we went off to camp one year and, um, they were asking us to do what seemed like all kinds of crazy physical activities. And within this camp, the, the camp went by the acronym PACE. And I actually wasn't clued into what that acronym stood for before we went off to camp. And I quickly learned that the acronym PACE stood for positive attitudes, change everything. Because when we were in this environment, again, being asked to do all kinds of crazy things, within a couple minutes, you're like, oh, I can't do this. Oh my gosh, this is too hard. And you would, they would literally have you drop and do 15 push-ups if you used a negative attitude. And this is again back in the 80s where people didn't talk about, you know, positive attitudes and your orientation towards life. That just wasn't a thing back then. And I remember being exposed to that concept and it totally changing my orientation to the camp that week. But it was an acronym that has always stuck with me. And even today I'll use it with my kids. In fact, my, my youngest will sort of mimic it back to me sometimes when he's crabby or negative in the morning. He's like, I know, I know. P-A-C-E, positive <laughs> attitudes change everything. But it really stuck with me as a lesson, right? As something that, and it's so true, but it just wasn't something that was talked about back then. I could have used that last night with my 17-year-old, uh, but uh, so one day late, but I'm sure it'll come up again. It will. Um, Just remember, P-A-C-E, Paul. Yes, yeah. <laughs> what I love about your stories is that what you do today and, and as a leader and your ability to listen, I mean, it's what your company does is to listen. That's what your core competency is. But that all kind of came in part from, I'm sure, John and your ability to listen to people along the way. And you learned through these early lessons, the importance of doing that. And, and you continue to, to build upon that. So that's why I love going back because it, it, uh, it's so clear for anyone that ends up in a leadership role that it came from those early lessons um, from family, jobs, schools, things like that. 
if you think, Camille, about today and, and what makes the company special, how you guys have continued to refine the value proposition and build a, a unique culture that supports that, what makes you really special today? So I think what makes Gangas special today, um, I'm going to answer that from from two angles. You know, our focus is and has always been on being, you know, growth or great, I should say, and growth coming as a result of being great. And I think that's probably similar to many companies that would consider themselves in the category of, of small giants, right? Um, but I think that it's every company's sort of path that they take to being what they would consider great, that probably differs. And I think what's special about Gangas from a sort of employee um, or employee experience perspective is that um, we truly manage the organization from a strengths-based perspective. So knowing that, you know, you can only improve somebody's weaknesses by so much, but man, if you can really figure out what their strengths and, and match those strengths up with passions, you can, oh gosh, help a person to skyrocket, right? And so many of the people who have been at Gongus, experienced Gongus, grown and developed here, those managing them to their strengths and passions has, um, they have shaped our company and sort of the, the path that we've taken as organization, as an organization and the things that we've offered to our clients just as much as our clients has, have shaped us. Mm. Um, there's so many people here who have taken sort of non-traditional career paths. In fact, I don't even know if you would say there is a traditional career path here at Gongus because we really try to hone in on strengths and customize, you know, that to, to where people want to take their careers. Um, and then on the, you know, the client side of that, we've never sort of told our clients that that's what we do, but they feel that from us in the people that they interact with and our whole goal, right. Is to help our, our clients and our people here be the best version of themselves. So helping to manage our people to strengths helps them to show up as the best version of themselves, which then affects the client experience and clients wanting to come back for more of that, even though maybe they can't put their finger on exactly what's different with the people at Gongus. We know the secret sauce. We know mm -hmm. what's happening behind the scenes to make that happen for, for our clients. So eight years later, as you're uh, still running this company that you now own, is there an area of leadership that you feel like you really need to still work on? Yeah, I mean, I I think, gosh, I'm one of those people that for sure um, has a spirit of, I like to call it restless dissatisfaction, right? Never being quite satisfied with where they are personally. So lots of different growth opportunities. But the one that I, I zero in on the most is um, I have a true passion for doing what we do as an organization, you know, listening to our clients' needs, helping our clients solve business challenges and being close to their customers. And it is probably the biggest area of work for me is focusing on running the business versus working in it. You know, mm -hmm. you only have so much time in the day and as the owner and CEO of the company, my focus should be on my own business, right? Making sure it is 
healthy and sustainable for the future. And uh, it's not that I don't do that. I absolutely do. But I also really gravitate towards wanting to work in the business. Mm-hmm. And um, it's it's something that I've got to I've got to keep a, a healthy balance. And I, I would never not want to work in the business because I think it keeps me real and connected to our clients business challenges and empathetic to what our people go through and working here. But I've got to make sure I shift that balance further and further towards running the business versus working on the business. So as you think about running the business or as we say, working on the business and you think about sustainability going forward in your own future, what would you like your own legacy to be? I line my own legacy up with, with the purpose of our business. And, you know, our real mission as a business is to um, help people achieve their best. It's, it's around helping our clients, our, our employees, anybody that we interact with really become the best version of themselves. And I like to say the next best version of yourself, because we don't want you to stay static. We want you to keep growing and evolving. And I think that I want my legacy to be around that, having a positive impact on people's lives by continuing to help them see their potential and being that next best version of themselves. And I honestly feel like, you know, I started this conversation by saying I never saw myself as a business owner um, or as a CEO. And I really had to frame in my mind how, how that fit, um, my life goals and what I wanted to achieve. And, you know, over the last eight years, I've really realized that running a business that is as much about, um, at least our business as much as about EQ as it is about IQ. So, you know, emotional intelligence as it is about Mm -hmm. IQ, that this business has been a, amazingly perfect avenue or mechanism to fuel that desire in me to make that positive impact on people's lives. Yeah. I mean, what an incredible opportunity that you have seized and done so well at. If you were talking to a young person starting out in business, whether they were an owner or not, based on all the things that you've been through, at least so far, what kind of advice would you give them? I would advise them to surround themselves with outside advisors, right? Um, To surround themselves with trusted advisors in key areas uh, like financial, um, legal, business coaches, life coaches. Uh, One of the pieces of advice that I give my own team is to build your network of people to tap into because nine times out of 10, if you're banging your head against the wall with a business problem that you feel like you can't solve, there's somebody else out there that solved that problem. We're not the first people to ever run into most problems that we face. So build a network around you of people that you can count on, other business owners, um, whoever it is that you feel comfortable and that can provide that trusted advisor perspective and tap into them. You know, it's we're lucky enough in this day and age to be able to have an easy access to networks of you know, thousands of people, but hone that into who your trusted advisors are and learn from each other, you know, stand on the shoulders of other people and reciprocate by letting them stand on your shoulders when they're in need. That's such great advice. And some, some of us as business leaders and owners are too arrogant in the early years to think that we need anybody else until we realize how little we actually know. <laughs> and, so and, then, and then when you start, whether it's through a great business book or a mentor advisor, 
you realize how much there is out there uh, in terms of knowledge and experience. And the vast majority of people that are in business are more than willing to share that experience with you, even if it ends up bringing you back to what your gut told you to begin with. So I just think that's uh, something I took to heart in, in my pretty early years and is such great advice. Camille, you've got such a wonderful story that is uh, still continuing, and and I look forward to following it. I want to end with these five quick hit questions, like the association game. Just maybe just tell me the first thing that comes to your mind. Name a leader that you look up to. I'm going to give you Ken Blanchard. Ah, That's a great one. Uh, How about a great book that influenced your leadership style? Can I say Small Giants? You can. You can. Yeah, that did it for me, too. Yeah. Um, what's your all-time favorite movie? The Sound of Music. Oh, that's the first time we've had that one. Great classic. Um, do you have a favorite TV series you like to binge watch? Stranger Things. Very popular. I haven't seen that one yet, but people love that. And then finally, tell us something about you that many people don't know. I am number six of seven children, um, and there's quite a gap between child number five and me, so child number six. So I tend to have both oldest child and youngest child qualities. It creates somewhat of a conflict every once in a while because I like to be in charge, but I also very much like to be taken care of. So it poses a conflict for my husband mostly. (laughs) Well, now you're solving another problem for me because my wife is number six out of seven and has the same sort of thing. So now I know how to start dealing with that. Um, uh, That's great. Uh, You know, I want to reflect on some of the things that you said, Camille, that really uh, touched me and I'm sure some of the people listening to the podcast. Uh, obviously what you went through, nobody could be prepared for, uh, but you, you did it with such strength and compassion of primarily for the people of the business. When John died eight years ago, uh, you jumped right into this new role, not only as the leader, but the owner of the business. I love how in building and adding to the team, it was important to you to protect what John had created, uh, that the foundation was still there. I always say about core values that no matter what else in the business changes, these are behaviors that will never change. And, and there can't be any more extreme than what you guys have gone through. And yet those core values, uh, I know, have kept this all together. But you were smart enough to do what the company does well, which is to listen to your customers and your employees, look at the market and realize that things needed to change or adjust as happens in any company um, to adjust that vision or even your value proposition. But you you did it in a way that was inclusive. And uh, I can think of many times when we've we made the mistake of uh, telling people what the change would be instead of having them involved in it and listening to them and having them feel empowered by those changes. And it seems like you did it by and large the right way. Um, I love the lessons from your dad about never forgetting where you came from and understanding the importance of serving others. The lessons from your job, uh, your first job as a as a receptionist, and the importance of the people on the front line that are really doing all the hard work in our businesses, even your experience as a cheerleader and how we have to count on other people. I definitely wrote down pace, uh, positive (laughs) attitudes change everything. So I'm going to use that uh, for my family and businesses, managing people to their strengths and passions and, and realizing that in any business, as I say, we, we really exist to enhance the lives of the people 
that we work with and, and work in our company. And if you can identify those strengths and what people are really interested in that may or may not even be their current skills, you're going to really impact people's lives, which I know is uh, a big part of the legacy that you want to build. Uh, but like many entrepreneurs, and I think you were really built for this, this idea of restless dissatisfaction, this idea that, you know, I love what we do as a company. I'm passionate about it. I love working with customers. But you have a, a uh, enlarged responsibility, I would say, today at being an owner um, and the CEO of the company, which is you do have to protect the health of the business to sustain long term. And that requires different levels of, of focus. And lastly, just the advice that you give to others, which is, seems so simple and intuitive, but we don't all do it easily or quickly, which is uh, surround yourself with men and women who you trust, who have had maybe a little bit more experience than you, maybe a little bit more success than you, and just ask. And they would be more than happy to help you along the way. And you're going to learn even more tools to be a, a better leader going forward. So I want to thank you, Camille, for, for being on the podcast, sharing your story. It's inspirational. I know that the best is yet to come. And I just want to congratulate you on being able to go through a really rough time and come out in a way that you're not only growing as a leader, but impacting many people's lives. Oh, thank you so much, Paul. This was such a pleasure and I feel such an honor to have been able to talk with you today. Well, thank you. And thank you for joining me on this episode of the Growing With Purpose podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please support the show by subscribing to hear future episodes. Until next time.